ESPN 94.1 FM at AM 930 present The Drive. It is Monday, May 22nd, your drive. It begins right now on ESPN 94.1 and AM 930. I'm your host, Paul Swan, here until 6 o'clock. We're going to get your text in this hour, 304-396-TALK, 304-396-8255. Coming up today, my guest is going to be Chris Grassy. Marshall recently releasing the men's soccer schedule. We're going to talk about it with Chris and look ahead to the upcoming season. But until then, we'll get those texts in. Again, that's 304-396-TALK, 304-396-8255. We've got baseball action coming up tonight for you here on ESPN 94.1 and AM 930. Texas at Pittsburgh, 635 is going to be first pitch. We go on the air, 610, and you can catch all Pirates baseball all season long right here on ESPN 94.1 and AM 930. On our sister station, Cat Sports 93.3 and 1340, Denver and the Lakers, 8.30 tonight will be tip-off. We go on the air at 8 o'clock. This is over. I know I'm not doing a very good job hyping this here, but unless LeBron James has got a four-game win streak in him right now, this is over. I wanted Lakers-Celtics so bad. Instead, I'm going to get Nuggets Heat. Who wants to watch Nuggets Heat? Raise your hand. Anyone want to watch Nuggets Heat? I don't. I wanted Lakers-Celtics. I want to go back to the days where they made a video game out of Lakers-Celtics. That's what I wanted so bad. Instead, I get Heat Nuggets. How many people are going to tune into that? I'm curious. Does that really do anything for you? I'm sure the NBA wanted Lakers-Celtics as well. So you can just rule out the fix ever being in because I don't think anyone dialed up the Nuggets and the Heat for the NBA championship. On the ice, Carolina taking on Florida. That is coming up tonight, 8 o'clock. So far, so good for the Florida Panthers. It might be Florida and Las Vegas. That's what it's looking like right now in the Stanley Cup Final. Still a lot of ice time to be logged in, a lot of games to be played. Uh, Something we're going to get into a little bit later on, ESPN came out with its ranking of college football's top 75 quarterbacks of the 2000s. And I'll tell you where they're at later, but three players that we're interested in. Geno Smith is on the list, West Virginia quarterback, from 2009 to 2012. Byron Lefwich on the list, Marshall quarterback from 1998 to 2002. And Pat White is on the list, quarterback for the Mountaineers from 2005 to 2008. We'll talk about where they're at, where they're ranked, And if you think one should be higher than the other. So we'll get into that a little bit later on. But that was an interesting list I was looking at. I'm still trying to break it down. But I did find the the in-state guys. I was kind of curious if Byron would make the list. And, of course, since this is the top 75 quarterbacks of the 2000s, college football top 75, Chad Pennington, not eligible for this one. Not eligible. But... If we went back a ways, he might have made a a 1990s list. I'm pretty sure he would have made a top 75 list in 1990s. But it was good to see at least there was three representatives from our immediate interest range on this list. So we'll get into that a little bit later on. Uh, Some sad news before we hit the break. I want to talk about this briefly. I haven't followed the Boston Marathon much in in its long storied history. 
But there was one story that really interests me years ago, and it was the Hoyt family. It was Dick Hoyt and Rick Hoyt. And this was a, a really interesting story when I saw it because this family became really iconic in what they were doing. Now, Dick Hoyt passed away in 2021. Rick Hoyt has passed away at age 61. And this was due to complications with Rick's respiratory system. Now, Rick Hoyt, if, you don't, if you're not that familiar with the story, this, was, this is what first caught my attention years ago. And I thought this was an amazing story. Rick Hoyt has or had cerebral palsy, and he was a quadriplegic, and his father was there for him. I mean, him and his father were almost staples. They were staples of the Boston Marathon, and it was just, not just the Boston Marathon. It was in, in triathlons and road races because they would run the race. They would run the race together. As a family, they completed the Boston Marathon course 32 times, and they participated in over 1,000 other races, including a transcontinental run and a bike journey across the U.S. in 1992. So if you hadn't seen the story, Google it. Do yourself a favor. Google the story. I'm sure there's maybe a news package or two you can find on YouTube. I, I encourage you, if you haven't seen this story, because Dick would train with his son and he would push him in the Boston Marathon and other races. I mean, it was really inspiring. It just makes you think, yeah, your day might not be going so well, and then you look at this story and you go, well, you know what, I can get up and do anything. Look at what they're doing. Look what they're achieving. Look at how they have overcome the difficulties of their life. It was an inspiring story. So I was really sad to see that he had passed away, Rick had passed away. And it was, I was very sad when Dick passed away as well. But uh, it was it's a touching story. I encourage you really to, to look for it, read up a little bit about it, find out more about it, because it's it's really very heartfelt, and it, it gives you it gives you a, a lot of a positive feelings when you when you see that. So I wanted to acknowledge that today because he was a staple along with his father. They they were in the Boston Marathon 32 times. I mean that's huge. That is a that is an achievement in itself, and then a thousand other races. So give that story a look. I I love to go into more detail, but I don't know if I've got enough time to really do it justice but i thought you should really be you know aware of that if you're not already it's it's a it's a great story so when we continue we're going to turn our attention to marshall soccer i've got chris grassy coming up we're going to talk to him and we're going to get his thoughts on the upcoming schedule we're also going to look ahead to where he thinks this team is where he thinks this team is and you know what's it going to take to win the sunbelt championship and get back to the national championship so we'll do that when we continue. We'll get your text in as well, 304-396-TALK, 304-396-8255. This is The Drive on ESPN, 94.1 and AM 930. This is The Drive with Paul Swan on ESPN, 94.1 FM and AM 930. Welcome back to our Monday, May 22nd edition, The Drive on ESPN, 94.1 and AM 930. Last week, we got the men's and women's soccer schedule. And first up to talk about what we can expect for the upcoming season is Marshall men's soccer coach Chris Grassy. Good talking to you again. Looking over the schedule a few days ago and just trying to figure out where do you get a breather in this schedule. And I'm sure that's the way you wanted it. <laughs> well, hey, Paul, it's uh, great to talk to you again. Um, yeah, it's, it's tough to get a 
breather. It's college soccer, um, so you're playing every three or four days. It's just a you know a really condensed schedule. We're basically playing over 12 weeks, which obviously I think we've talked a lot about you know the expansion of the season into the two semester model or the 21st century model. But you know it, it, it is what it is, and at the end of the day, we love playing games. We love you know winning games um, and kind of like living for you know those moments to to step out in the field and test ourselves is, is, you know, what it's all about. So we're happy that it's, we have as many games as we, we do against as many good opposition uh, opponents that we can bring here to town. So we're, we're very excited about it. What was your goal when you were trying to put this uh, non-conference schedule together? Uh, you know, I'm sure you had some obligations from previous seasons, but you know, what were you looking to do when you were trying to put this together to complement what you've got to put up with uh, in the uh, Sun Belt with, Again, never an easy game, it feels like. Yeah, so I think, you know, our goal's always been, um, well, my goal's always been to have a um, a, a schedule that, that will give us the strength. If we have 11 wins, we'll be in the NCAA tournament. You know, it's kind of what I generally go with. Uh, I've got sort of nine years' worth of RPI data that I kind of crunch and look at four-year averages of, how teams have done, trying to take into consideration new coaches, have they improved the program, do I think they'll improve the program, and so on, um, to just make those judgment calls. But every year is different than the next, so you know the math is only one lens to, to look at it through. And I think with this year's schedule, there's some big differences, right? Like this year's schedule, with the Sun Belt being so strong, with UCF coming into the conference, um, it really gave us an opportunity to try and get some more home games. You know, I think that was... Most of the years I've been here, I think we've had more away games than we've had home games, and so this was a great, you know, opportunity to reward our fans. And, and with us having um, ten home games, you know, plus preseason, I think it's going to be an excellent opportunity for for fans to, you know, to really get an opportunity to watch us play. And, and you know, I took some criticism from or some suggestions, I guess, from 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 our community, and you know, they wanted more games on a weekend. You know, so we've got. You know, long weekends, we've got Friday games, we've got Saturday games, we've got Sunday games. So we, we try to put a lot more of the games on a weekend where, you know, hopefully we can get some bigger crowds and, and have a better atmosphere. And, you know, at the end of the day, I still think wins puts us in the tournament. But honestly, you know, we, we set the schedule up, we look at it, we try and we're going to win, you know, 16 out of 16 is, is our goal. So, um, yeah, those were some of the things that uh, I was thinking about putting the schedule together. And... I think the thing that really makes it attractive as well is not only is it challenging, but there's some names there that people instantly should know. I mean, you have Pittsburgh back on the schedule. That's a road game, and that's going to excite yep. a lot of herd fans that want to travel. Xavier's on the schedule. That's that's a school that's close by. So, again, there's some name recognition there. Your, your exhibition schedule, your, your, your preseason schedule, Robert Morris in Michigan. So those are some – really well known maybe Michigan comes to mind more so just to your your casual fan but there are you can look at the schedule and go okay I, yeah I know that Xavier's yeah I know that Pittsburgh yeah, these are schools I'm not scratching my head going who are these people yeah no for sure I think it's it's trying to find those sort of name brand games and if you know if we could get um you know and soccer's a little different you know obviously you know a team like Xavier um is, you know, they made the NCAA tournament. They've got a new coach, a good young coach who's taken them over. So I feel like they'll be a very good game. But a game like Xavier under the previous coach was, they just wouldn't play us. You know, they were, well, I'm going to say, scared to play us for sure. Um, 
you know, because they didn't think they could win. They didn't think it was a good game for them. And we were in that zone for a very long time with, you know, is our RPI going to be high enough? But teams can't guarantee that they're going to win the game. You know, so we give them a challenge um, to play and they were just a little bit, you know, worried about playing us. But then you've got this local, you know, Cincinnati, Columbus, you know, even like Louisville area, like teams within, you know, two, three hours of here. You know, those are the kind of teams we want to play as much as we can, especially if they're doing the right things as a program and they're good as a program because then you can develop those local rivalries. Pittsburgh, right? I mean, it's only four hours away. Um, so we want to kind of have those games with our regional sort of rivals and, and make it easy for our fans to travel and drive and, and try to create a little bit of, you know, it's a less travel time for, for all the teams involved and, and try to create those regional rivalries, especially when we have good teams on there. And then, you know, some of the some of the other teams, it's it's high point NCAA tournament team last year. You know, Cleveland were very good won their conference last year. So I think we're trying to get, you know, a, a bunch of good games and then teams that will also hold up their end of the RPI so we can, um, you know, we have to just take care of business to be in the tournament. Um, and then if we can take care of the Sun Belt and win that, then, we're, you know, we've had a good season. Have you found that the spring lead has maybe helped you with some of those relationships trying to build and then get some regular season games out of this? Yeah, I, th- I think so. You know, I definitely would like to play in Ohio State and Louisville um, sort of in the regular season a little bit more with them just being you know, two and a half hours for Ohio State and, and three for Louisville. Um, I mean, you know, that far away I think would be would be good. And I think we play those guys in the spring. So I think yes, we're starting to get you know maybe a little bit, a little bit more familiar with the teams, and um, you know in the spring I'm hoping you know Louisville beat us in the in the spring, but honestly that was our best game of the spring season. We were we were probably our best game in a long time. You know we we should have scored about well we had an xG of of about four goals in that game. So for us it was an amazing performance, even though we lost the game. But hopefully with them winning the game that encourages them to play us because you know we don't want them to feel like you know we're maybe a bridge too far. You know, we've been too good to play. So we want to feel like, you know, want them to feel at least like they've got a chance, you know, so that they can come here and play um, and, and kind of make it a fixture in maybe 24 and 25 as we as we go and pick up those teams. But, the, yeah, the, the regional nature of the Spring League has, has really helped, you know, us as coaches. You get to know each other a little bit more. You know, you kind of, you know, have chats before the game and, you know, become familiar and, you know, hopefully we can all see the benefits of the spring league because it's such a competitive league. It gives us something real to sink our teeth into. And the guys, like they really need that competitive um, environment to play and to develop. And it's given us that. And, and, you know, us, you know, being the second, third year, third time doing the spring league, I think, you know, we start to feel like a little camaraderie for putting that together and making it successful. So yeah, hopefully that helps us play games in the future. Chris Grassi is with me. The Marshall soccer schedule has been released and there are a lot of exciting games on it we've talked about the non-conference schedule the conference schedule yeah is as i joked with you i I don't know where you have an easy one i think you like it that way Uh, you have kentucky at home this year you have south carolina at home you also have ucf at home which is going to be fantastic and that's a great rivalry when those two programs were in the same conference together so it's great to have them in the sun belt with you and then you've got to go up to Morgantown, take on WVU, and I'm sure you always – I mean, I don't know if you circle games, but that's one you, I think a lot of people circle just because it's been so competitive and, and so fun. Yeah. 
No, that's a great uh, that's a great game, and you know, no, I don't don't really circle games. Um, kind of, we play so many in such a short space of time that it would be difficult to pick out. You know, an important one is is Kentucky more important than WVU, vice versa. You know, but but any conference game is is going to be tough. I think the the, the WVU rivalry within the conference is, is an amazing thing for the state, and and I think we've talked about this before. Obviously, my older system, Strats, is the head coach, and you know, wish them well in, in every other game that they play, except for when they play us. And, you know, we're very familiar with each other's programs and obviously the, the, the kids in state, each other. You know, there's a lot lot of uh, sort of brother, brotherly rivalry going on there, which is obviously a big, uh, a big draw in itself. And then, you know, we have Kentucky, which is, you know, every single year Kentucky's existed as a program. They've played Marshall and, and that's a, a rivalry, you know, within itself and, and a very close one for us. And, you know, you add in the other, you know, other two power five teams in our conference, South Carolina and UCF. And, you know, UCF have been very good, a little down, a little dip last year, but generally a very consistently powerful program. And uh, South Carolina, with the hire of Tony Annan, you know, they've kind of taken steps forward. And I assume, you know, they're, I know they're, they're putting a lot of resources into the program to be good. And, you know, having conversations with Tony, how he's shaping the program, it's, they're going to be, they're going to be a force. And obviously you've got, the Georgia States, the Coastal Carolinas, you know, the ODUs, the the conference is just going to be tough from from top to bottom. So there's not really a game, you know, if I if I circled WVU, it'd be too late. You know, that was the only game we focused on. So we think, uh, you know, our mantra around the office is, you know, we just try to take care of conference games, one game at a time. If we can, you know, do well in the conference, the the national picture will take care of itself. Chris Grassi is with me. The Marshall men's soccer schedule is out. Exciting schedule. I actually can say that, and I think we're not really overselling that. And speaking of selling the schedule, season ticket renewals and deposits are now going on until June 7th. What should fans know that maybe haven't gone through this process before and are finally ready to take the plunge and be a part of your season? Yeah, I mean, like I said before, the the – the thing we've really tried to do, I really tried to listen to our community and, and some of the things that they were asking for. You know, we have an amazing group. You know, my wife does a great job as well as, as sort of spearheading the tailgating um, contingent. So, we'll, you know, we have two, three, five hundred people who come behind the, the field there and tailgate before a game. And, you know, the, the feedback we were getting was, you know, can we have some more games? Can we have more games on weekends? So, you know, this year for the you know for the same money, instead of getting seven or eight games, you're going to get ten regular season games, and you know the, the, we have one uh, exhibition game on top of that. You know, and, and then hopefully if we can you know continue to to win, we'll have more home games in the Sun Belt Conference. You know, if we're if we're a top seed in the in the in the conference again, we'll get to host uh, conference tournament games here as well. With the way that all uh, conference is set up for the, the playoff picture. But I think fans just need to know, you know, the value for money that they're going to get this year is um, is going to be, you know, much greater than it has been in the past. And then we've really we've really tried to listen, you know, we've tried to listen to what the fans want in terms of when they want their games, and um, you know, we've tried to make those adjustments and and make sure that we we can provide that. And and secondly, this is the deepest, strongest squad I think that I've ever had at Marshall. Um, you know, hopefully we can reach the. The ceiling, you know, as my assistant Josh puts it, or we've raised the floor so high, you know, we have pretty much two people competing for every position. And, you know, with this recruiting class that we've brought in, I think we have, you know, five transfers who are all 
you know, either the top scorer, top assist guy on the team, first team all conference guys, plus eight of the guys that we bring in are youth internationals um, of the new guys. And, you know, for, that's not small nations, that's France, that's Portugal, that's Brazil, that's Japan. You know, we have a really, um, you know, fantastic recruiting class that we've been able to bring in over the spring. Um, and it's going to be a new a new group, you know, the, the Pedros and the Milos and the Vinnies and the Ollies have, have moved on, you know, and, and, and this is the next generation coming to stand on the shoulders of those giants. And I think our community is something we really rely on and something we sell so much because they, they are just so lovely and so fantastically supportive. And I do feel like it is a differentiator for Marshall and to, to more schools, just how committed our community is. And it's, you know, it's time for the community. I'm going to challenge them. They have to get behind this team and support this team and lift this team because for me, this team is capable of winning another national championship and capable of winning a, um, another Sunbelt or the first Sunbelt Conference Championship for us. So, you know, we've tried to provide as much as we can to the the community in terms of more games and more convenient games. But, you know, we're going to demand that they they help be part of it. You know, they've made no bones along the way of that. Our community was a big reason. You know, we had 4,000 fans of the 5,000 capacity down in uh, Kerry when we won it. And that was a big reason, right? We, we, We made it green. And I think we need that. We need the support. This this young team, this new team, um, has the sky is the limit for their potential. But they're going to need our support. They're going to need the, the community support. So there's a little bit of an enticement, a little bit of a challenge. Speaking of that new class, I don't think we've we've spoken since you picked up a couple of additions. I I need to start with I think. Uh, help me with this name, Wensizer. I think you're. I think you're close. Um, I'm gonna go with it. Paul Weinsizer, the goalkeeper. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with uh, Weinsizer until I get I get a pronunciation guide on that. Uh, yeah, I don't think yeah. we've talked about him since uh, we spoke last, and you, know, you made that announcement on Twitter as well. And you, know, you mentioned you you have depth at each position now. What does uh, what does Weinsizer bring you? So he'll he'll be a goalkeeper. He'll be a young goalkeeper for us, Paul. I think he's um, you know one for the for me the goalkeeping position. Obviously, we had Gabe Sittler, who's you know, going to be a fifth-year senior, and you know he's he's such a leader for us, and and he knows the program inside and out, and you know he's been able to step in. But we'll add sort of Dan Rose, who's an, an Irish international, so he was he joined us in the spring, but he's been a little bit um, he's been a little bit injured, you know, with the excuse me, you know, he's been a little bit injured with the, um, the some injury that he you know picked up here when he first started training the first week. So he so having him back is going to be good. So he's a he played for Ireland under 21s. Um, you know, he's a he's a proper uh, international goalkeeper. Was at Man City, then Everton, then Schalke. So he's he's had some big name teams. And then um, Gabriel Perotta is a four-year starter from UNC Wilmington. You know, first team All Conference. Sort of was top five in the nation in the last few years with with uh, you know goals against the shot stopping average, save percentage. So you know he's got one year remaining. So I think it's great with Dan being you know Dan's going to be a true freshman. And obviously has a lot of experience having played for Ireland under 21 internationals. But, you know, Gabriel has that college experience, a little bit older. He's also a Paraguayan international goalkeeper, played for the Paraguay under-17s in the World Cup and the under-20s from Paraguay. So we've got two, you know, really, really um, strong goalkeepers with, with great resumes. And, you know, they'll be battling it out. So, you know, that's really good. And Paul is, is you know, somebody we see as a, as a project who can develop and, you know, we'll see how this year's battle goes, and then and then Paul will be able to hopefully be in a, in a position to 
uh, step in after that. Chris Grassi is with us. Uh, any exciting uh, new developments with the with the stadium that you can tell us about? I know there's always something new happening, and uh, I'm, I don't know if I can keep up with all the things that keep popping up. Yeah, I know you're still <laughs> lobbying for grass. I'm there with you, hoping you get grass eventually. But you know, there's going to be, I'm sure, some upgrades that maybe you can talk about, if not now, uh, later. Yeah, I mean, it's it's you know, for, for me and for what people need to know is you know, with Christian. Uh, and Deborah coming in, and obviously Brad Smith is, is the president. The, the the pace of of development has been has been fantastic. We're you know we're slated to be part of the All M campaign, and you know we are going to be making big improvements to the stadium. We're hopefully going to be adding some you know some nice seats and some skybox type things and and scoreboard, and that'll all be coming down the road. And yes, we you know we have a commitment to to get to grass. And you know every time I talk to Christian, he's trying to come up with another solution to to get us some training fields if, we, if we're going to go to grass. And so it really is amazing. I mean, they're so supportive of basically just trying to make, you know, our dreams come true for, for the way us coaches see our programs and the things that we need. And, you know, for our program, you know, they understand we compete in what's essentially a Power 5 conference. And, you know, we, we kind of were a little bit in that race, but they want us to be the best in the country and they want to support us to do that and, and grow in the stadium and, you know, changing the grass is all part of that. And they've been sort of fully on board and fully supportive and, you know, fully committed to coming up with new ideas. And, you know, as we get into this All-M campaign and we really start fundraising, you know, they've made me feel like we're, we're a priority and, you know, th- these are the things that they, they want to do. So no specific updates yet, but it, it is moving along. You know, we've talked about designs and, we've you know, we, we have to bring some architects on and um, look at some things and, and it depends which which parts of property we can buy as a, as a university and which parts we can use and, you know, where the priorities are, obviously, you know, the baseball facility has been, you know, such a, such a labor and a labor of love uh, recently, you know, but to see that taking shape so we can get our baseball team on campus and, you know, growing all of the programs to be, to be nationally competitive um, is going to be a big thing. And, and for us, it's about, you know, our goal is to win a national championship every year. And, you know, there's certain things that, in the arms race of college um, athletics and college soccer that, you know, you kind of need to have to build a compete. And, you know, although we have no specific developments, I mean, Christian and, and Deborah have been super supportive and I think we'll, we'll get there for sure. Ask for a big video board. Just look at the, look at the ones going to go up for football and then, and just ask for a big video board. <laughs> yeah, no, there's, there's definitely plans. Um, you know, there's, we just have to make sure we get the right, you know the right setup here, and so there's 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 definitely plans to to get a video board in the next in the next couple of years, and and get it sorted. But uh, yeah, that's um, something that will happen in the near future. Chris Grassi is with me, Marshall's men's soccer coach. Uh, you want to mention your camps before I let you go because I know those are coming up. Yeah, you know we've got, I think part of our part of our engagement with the community and and. You know, basically, our favorite thing is is running the the kids camps. You know, and seeing that next generation, and seeing all those little little kids running around in green and white shirts, um, or the camp shirts is is amazing. So, we have uh, two camps, two day camps this summer. Right now, we've got um, June fifth to the ninth. You know, so coming up coming up here quite quite soon, and we run that in conjunction with the women's program. So, boys and girls are welcome to come. Um, basically, looking for pre high school. Uh, ages, so probably all the way from from five all the way up to to thirteen, fourteen, um, and then you know we have another camp 
July 17th to the 21st, and those both run from 9 a.m. to 12 p.m. And you'll get to work with our players, our coaching staff, the women's staff, the women's players. It'll be a really fun, fun event. And obviously, you know, my dad will be around as well, giving out giving out chocolates. <laughs> <laughs> I like it, <laughs> giving out chocolates. So, how does that work between Hoops Family Field and the Shawnee Soccer Complex? How does how does that work? That split? Yeah, we just we try and again offer. Uh, we had a lot of a lot of requests, you know, from people in Charleston who wanted to run. Um, you want us to run a camp down there. And I know from, you know, my son playing soccer, like I want him to be in Huntington so I don't have to drive an hour there and an hour back every day to, to train. And so we understood that. And we basically just send a contingent of coaches and a contingent of players down to run sort of an auxiliary camp or an extra camp down in down at Shawnee at the same time. Um, both of those run in, in conjunction with our camp in Huntington. Uh, I mean, the people at Shawnee have been fantastic with, you know, inviting us in and, and having us run the camp there. So, it's a great facility on the on the turf down there as well. So you know you'll pretty much get the same experience, except you just won't have the uh, the stadium, the soccer stadium in the background when you do it down in Shawnee. Okay, so same experience, just locations. Uh, what uh, is the the factor here for where you want to be, either in Charleston or Huntington? Chris Grassi, my guest. Thanks for doing this. I know you're you're always uh, super generous through your time. I appreciate you doing it, and we'll get you back on soon. Oh, thanks, Paul. Pleasure. That's Chris Grassi. Don't forget the uh, camps are coming up in July and June as well, and you can go on uh, herdzone.com for more information there. When we continue, we'll get your text in, 304-396-TALK, 304-396-8255. This is The Drive on ESPN 94.1 and AM 930. This is The Drive with Paul Swan on ESPN 94.1 FM and AM 930. Our phone line this hour for texting is 304-396-TALK. That's 304-396-8255. Welcome back to The Drive on ESPN 94.1 and AM 930. ESPN has come up with a list trying to rank college football's top 75 quarterbacks of the 2000s. And as far as our purposes, we're interested in three names that came out on the list. And that is... Pat White, quarterback for West Virginia from 2005 to 2008. Geno Smith, quarterback for West Virginia, 2009 to 2012. And Byron Lefwich, quarterback for Marshall, 1998 to 2002. So let's make the arguments for why these three are on the list first, and then we'll tell you where they were ranked. And then if you agree, where at least where they're ranked in regards to each other. I don't want to go over the entire list here. I just want to look at these three. So let's make the argument. Why is Byron Leftwich on this list? Well, 11,903 passing yards, a 65% completion rate, 89 touchdowns, 28 interceptions, six rushing touchdowns, led Marshall to two conference titles. What's he known for? Well, there's that 30-point comeback in the 2001 GMAC Bowl and nearly leading a comeback against Akron with a broken leg. That's a highlight for ESPN. That's what Byron Leftwich is maybe generally known for. He was described like an old-school gunslinger, old-school quarterback. I love the description for him. And then you have Pat White, 6,049 passing yards, 65% completion rate. He had 56 touchdowns, 23 interceptions, 4,480 rushing yards, and 47 rushing touchdowns. 
Pat White got it done, did he not? And he also had Steve Slayton. Had a dynamic duo vibe going on with, with, with Slayton. And the only thing I think that held Pat White back was just injuries. And that's how he was described, being held back, hindered by injuries in Rodriguez's system. And then you have Geno Smith, 11,662 passing yards, 67% completion rate, 98 touchdowns, 21 interceptions, four rushing touchdowns. He lived, he lived his best life in Dana Holgerson's offense. It was pass heavy. He lived his best life. He led WVU to an Orange Bowl title in 2011, produced seven 400-yard games and basically carried the team briefly into the top 10 in 2012. These are the three that we're interested in. Now, I'll tell you where they're ranked. Geno Smith is 70th of 75. Top quarterbacks in the 2000s. Pat White is 27th of the top 75 quarterbacks of the 2000s. And then Byron Lefwich, 44th of the top 75 quarterbacks of the 2000s. So, for those of you that like the Marshall versus WVU debate, I know I'm setting myself up here. Someone alert Mark right now. Byron Leftwich is better than Geno Smith, according to this list, but Pat White's better than both of them. Where would you rank the three? Would you rank the three? Now, I'm not asking you to rank them in the entire pantheon of 75 quarterbacks. Where would you rank the three? Is Leftwich better than Pat White and Geno Smith? Is Pat White better than Leftwich and Geno Smith? Is Geno Smith better than Pat White and or Byron Leftwich? Which quarterback is better? Which one is the third best? Which one's the second best? Which one's the best of the three? 304-396-TALK, 304-396-8255. I know, I'm setting myself up. I'm going to get a lot of hate here on Twitter. That's fine. That's fine. It's deliberate. I know I'm doing it to myself. That's okay. I'm going to have to say, Pat White, met the metrics on Pat White, 56 touchdowns passing, 56 passing touchdowns, 47 rushing touchdowns. That's impressive. That's impressive. Pat White might get the nod over Leftwich if you're looking at those metrics, but boy, Leftwich was was something else. Something else, wasn't he? There wasn't a guttier quarterback. You knock him down, he just come back right up at you. And of course, I think the I think the broken leg game really cemented his legacy. The 30 point comeback in the 2001 GMAC Bowl really cemented his legacy as well. I don't know which one I'd want. If I had to pick, I'm going to have to lean Leftwich. But I can't argue with the metrics on either one of these guys. I really can't argue with that. But I think Geno Smith, he's 70th overall of the 75. I'm going to be honest with you. I think Geno maybe is a little underrated. To be fair, to be fair. And if you're looking at which quarterback do you want leading you to a championship, okay, it's all in the line. Which, which, is my, which one's my guy? Who's my quarterback? I... I would love to have the problem of choosing between Leftwich and White. I'm going to say that right now. I would love to have that problem, choosing between, all right, which one am I putting in? We need a game-winning drive. Which one am I putting in? I think I am leaning Leftwich. That might not be a popular decision among some, but I think I might lean Leftwich. But honestly, it would have to be situational because if I need a quarterback that could get me yards on the ground and could throw, I mean, sure, Pat White's my guy, but Leftwich was just a a, a straight-out gunslinger. He's a guy to just go out there and sling the ball, and he could. I mean, if you're looking for um, you're looking for a shootout, hey, Leftwich is your guy. 
if you could corral Pat White, if you could corral him, I don't know if Pat White beat you with his arm, if you could corral him. He can kill you on the ground, but I don't know if you could corral him and keep him in check on the ground, then in a straight-up shootout, straight-up shootout, I'm taking Leftwich. Now, Leftwich versus Geno Smith, that would be a fun one to watch. Let's not let's not lie to each other. Geno Smith versus Byron Leftwich straight-out shootout, that would be a fun one. So this is going to be an interesting exercise. I'm sure I'm going to get a lot of grief on Twitter, at Paul Swan. A lot of grief. I know where it's coming from. It's fine. I set myself up for it. But I'm going to have to go left witch over white. But, boy, if it was just, hey, let's have a good old-fashioned shootout, I'm taking left witch and Geno Smith. Those are probably the two I want to watch. I probably want to watch that game more than anything. If everything was even, 304-396-TALK, 304-396-8255. we got more coming up. It's The Drive on ESPN 94.1 and AM 930. This is The Drive with Paul Swan on ESPN 94.1 FM and AM 930. Welcome back to our final segment. It's The Drive on ESPN 94.1 and AM 930. All right, I'm, I'm taking charge of Twitter. We're talking about the top 75 quarterbacks of the 2000s. Byron Leftwich, Pat White, Geno Smith all making the list. So I just went ahead and put it out there right now. I know I'm setting myself up for grief. Which one of these three quarterbacks would you take to win the game? If you need a quarterback to go out there and win you the game right now, is it Byron Leftwich? Is it Pat White? Is it Geno Smith? You can find me on Twitter at Paul Swan. Looking at Twitter right now. Yes, I see you, Mark. That's going to do it for this edition. We'll do it again tomorrow here on ESPN 94.1 and AM 930. Pittsburgh Pirates Baseball, ESPN 94.1 FM and AM 930.